Surprise! I am not Pastor Rolando. I am Pastor Marcus. If you caught the welcome here, uh, Pastor Julio said that Pastor Rolando was going to be preaching today, but I'm Marcus and I'm preaching today. So if you are disappointed about that, I would like to invite you to the Spanish service at 1230 today. <laughs> and you are, you definitely will catch a two for one and on this beautiful Sunday together. No worries, Pastor uh, Julio. I know you have a lot of your mind today and so we're going to get to God's word together. My name is Marcus and I'm the youth pastor here at Calvary and I'm so excited to get to share God's word with you today to be in God's word together and to see what God has in store for us from his word as we glean truths from the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. That's where we will be today if you'd like to turn there Nehemiah chapter 2 in a minute just find your place there and hold it but I actually in all honesty just do want to thank Pastor Julio for sharing his pulpit with all of our pastors here on staff. He believes in our calling as ministers and pastors to share the word and has honestly just been such a blessing and encouragement to me as I develop as a, as a young pastor, as a pastor. So thank you again, Pastor Julio, for sharing that. But today we're in Nehemiah chapter 2, and today's sermon is called Courage, Courage. And I want to share with you a story of adventure, a story of sheer bravery, of epic proportions. I actually am only joking with you because this is a rather silly story that maybe doesn't involve a whole lot of courage, maybe just a little bit. You see, about a week ago, our pastoral staff from Calvary went on a staff retreat together. We embarked on this journey to go away for a little bit, to plan and to pray, and to pray and to plan and to seek God and ask hard questions and to, to discern where God is leading his kingdom here at Calvary and beyond. And together, Pastor Julio guided us through sessions that required so much attention and focus and collaboration and discussion. Our morning start, our day started with good morning and we'd get to work and we ended by saying good night, rather dazed from the day. But on one afternoon, Pastor Julio planned an activity for us to rest a restful afternoon activity that we all actually agreed to beforehand. We thought it would be good for us and good to embark on. You see, we, we agreed that we would take just a little bit of time from our busy work week of planning and working to climb to the top of the high ropes course at the camp that we were staying at, at Camp Buckner. So I want you to go back one picture and it'll give you a good perspective of what we were climbing. And you know, for some reason, we agreed that we would do this beforehand until we all started walking to the high ropes course and this nervousness started to come over the entire group and as we stood there in front of the high ropes course and got all harnessed in and I'll show you this next picture here we began to well, we got harnessed in and the camp staff instructed us on how we would maneuver from each section um, uh, around the obstacle course from obstacle to obstacle and before we proceeded to climb up there and embark on this adventure together the camp staff stopped and they prayed they, they prayed for us as we went to the top. Now, I'm a youth pastor, so I'm no stranger to things like this. But for some reason, they decided that prayer was a good reason, a good thing to do before we went up there. Perhaps because we seemed a little bit nervous or maybe because we were just a little bit older than the average age of teenagers that charged through the obstacle course in the summer times. I don't really know, but it seemed like prayer would be a good place to start. And you see, earlier in the day, our friend and president from Stark College and Seminary, 
joined us on our staff retreat, and he challenged us earlier that day in the morning to consider the twin sins of fear and doubt. Doubt and fear. And he challenged us to observe how crippling fear and doubt are to godly leaders in the things that God calls us to do. Now, a few hours later, somehow, by God's divine providence, here we are putting fear and doubt to death, literally, by climbing 30 feet up into this tower and walking across the high ropes course to walk the line. And I just want to tell you today, just my friends and my church family, who I've known for more than 12 years now, that you have some courageous pastors, and every single one of them walked the line, but don't get too excited because I've also seen seventh graders do it in about half the time, okay? But you have some courageous pastors, and I will not tell you, you will not ever get to know, though, uh, the screaming and the cries that occurred while we were up there. That part will stay a secret and in video because I climbed to the top of the high ropes with my phone to take video of all of our pastors up there. I'm just kidding. Nobody cried. Uh, you couldn't quite qualify some of that as a scream or a yell, but it was pretty close at times. But we were facing fears and doubt and needing to take just a little bit of courage, just a little bit, because if I was actually being honest with you, we knew that we would make it through and make it back down and that we would be completely fine. You see, but courage, though, is the willingness to face the unknown. Is the, courage is the willingness to face what is unknown, what brings us fear, maybe even facing what brings us pain or grief. Courage is the willingness to face something that is dangerous, something that is difficult. And today we're gonna to look at the life of Nehemiah and this incredible man, this incredible man of God and the example that he sets to live a life of courage in the midst of the unknown, when facing the unknown. Now, if you were here last week, we started the series last week in chapter one of Nehemiah and we said last week that there's a remnant of Israel that has returned out of exile. They've left Babylon and they've gone back to their homeland, gone back to Jerusalem and the Israelites, they rebuilt the temple and they're in this city, but this city, Jerusalem, is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to attacks on all sides from um, nations around them because they, their walls are broken down and their gates are burned down. And your city is only as strong as the protection that your city has around it. And in, in chapter one of Nehemiah last week, we saw that when Nehemiah finds out uh, when he uh, learns of the condition of the city, that it was like this sucker punch to his stomach, and he was filled with this grief. He was filled with this sorrow for the people, for for his his people back home in Jerusalem. He begins to weep and he prays and he fasts, knowing that the people back home in Jerusalem are not enjoying the security that he is enjoying in palace life, working for the king. But every single day they are vulnerable and surrounded by foreign nations that despise their resettlement and despise their growth as a people. See, in chapter one, the chapter ends by Nehemiah saying, I was the cupbearer to the king. And that's it. Like, that's how the chapter ended. I love that, though. Because what Nehemiah is acknowledging is that God has placed him not by accident, 
but strategically placed him in proximity to the king. In fact, the, the cupbearer to the king was somebody that was chosen because of character and integrity and because of the closeness they had to the king, many times had influence in the king's life. God has placed this man Nehemiah and he's put a burden in his heart and this burden is for the Israelites to see the city of Jerusalem restored and this identity as a people gained back again. And he has this burning passion to see God accomplish this. He's put him there for a reason. The first thing I want to see is that we are going to learn today that Nehemiah draws courage from prayer. You can fill that in on your outline if you'd like to follow along. Nehemiah draws courage from prayer. And the Bible says that in the month of Nisan, chapter 2, verse 1, in the 12th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took wine and I gave it to the king. So this has been about four months since, since Nehemiah first learns of the condition of the people in Jerusalem. King Artaxerxes is having this festival, and as the cupbearer, he is responsible for bringing wine to the king. And Nehemiah, is in, he's in charge of this wine, and this is what he says. He says, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, he says, why does your face look so sad? When you are not ill, this can be nothing but sadness of the heart he says, I was very much afraid. In other words, Nehemiah, he brings wine to the king. He's fulfilling his professional responsibilities to the king. But what he feels burning in his heart, this burden for the people of Israel, is so great that it has caused him such a sadness, even a depression, that he cannot keep it within anymore. And it's now affecting his professional responsibility because as he brings the cup of wine to the king, the king knowing him and seeing him regularly knows that something is wrong and says to him, why are you so downcast? This sadness that I see in your face can only come from one place, from the heart. What is going on? What is wrong with you? And Nehemiah rightly so says that he is very afraid, very much afraid and he has reason to be. Number one, because what he is wearing on his face is now interrupting the professional responsibility he has to the king. And he's downcast amongst everybody celebrating. And he's also afraid because he has something very important that he knows that he needs to ask the king about. And what would the king do? What would the king say? What would the king think about what has burdened his heart so greatly? Verse 3 says this, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed? Nehemiah informs the king, this is the condition of the place that my ancestors are from. And the king says to him, what do you want? What is it that you want? And I want us to see something here that Nehemiah does that is critical it is critical, and we cannot miss this. The king says to him, what do you want? And he says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. See, the king seems receptive to what Nehemiah has to say, and Nehemiah has a lot to say, as we're about to see. But before he even enters into what he must say to the king, he stops and he prays, and that is where 
the courage that he needs to face what he's about to do comes from. Courage drawn from prayer. He knows that he must pray for. Now I have a question for you, a question I've been thinking about all week long myself. What causes you fear? What causes you fear? What causes you doubt? Fear and doubt. You know, fear and doubt can be so paralyzing. Fear and doubt can cause us to take our eyes off of God and, on t- and, and, and place our eyes on the fear that is in front of us and causes us to miss out on what God may have for us. Fear causes us to miss out walking by faith. And fear causes us to miss out on what God is doing all around us at times. We can get so fixated on fear, we've got to pray more. We must pray more. You see, prayer takes our eyes off of fear. Prayer yanks our attention off of fear so that we can place our eyes on the one who knows everything. You know, we feel fear and doubt because of the unknown. We don't know what is ahead. We can only see so many steps ahead in life sometimes. As much as we'd like to plan and prepare for the future as we should, we don't know what is always ahead. There's so much unknown and that can drive us to fear and doubt. We must pray more so that our eyes are fixed on the one who knows it all, our heavenly father. There's nothing that is unknown to him. There's nothing that is unknown to our heavenly father which is why he supplies us with all the courage that we need to face the unknown. You know, it takes courage to raise families, children that love Jesus. It takes courage sometimes to not give up on your marriage and fight for your marriage. It takes courage to tell the truth. It takes courage to be honest. Fear drives us to lie. It takes courage to face secrets. It takes courage to face secret sins. It takes courage for our church to care more about the marginalized and those in need in our community and to live sacrificially as a church, to give and to reach. It takes courage to care more about what God says about you, your family, your children. It takes courage to care more about what God says than what the world says about you. It takes courage to be a church that cares more about God's will, God's way, what he calls us to do as a church. It takes more courage to do that than to fit into any of the agendas of man or any of the agendas of this world. To be a church that is preparing for the future and to face the future takes courage. You had Pastor, heard Pastor Julio talking about our staff retreat and we're in a new decade, 2020, and God is calling us to make disciples and do something amazing with his power in the future. And that is going to take courage as we face that together. But God teaches us through Nehemiah's example that we, if we are to live courageously, we must pray. We must pray more. So I wanna take just a minute, literally just a minute, and ask you to pray right now. We're supposed to do this at the end of the sermon, right? Like that's where response time goes. But you know what? Not today. I wanna take a minute and ask you to just bow your head, to close your eyes, 
And before God today, will you surrender that which may bring you fear and doubt? It may be a simple prayer like this. God, I know what you want me to do. It's hard to do. I don't have the courage to do it without you. Give me courage. Amen. Nehemiah has prayed and he has drawn courage from God through his prayer and he's ready to go. He's got to take action. It's time to do something. Verse four says this, the king said, what do you want, Nehemiah? He says this, he says, king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. See, he now has the courage that he needs to respond to God's call. Then the king said to him, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? And you see, it pleased the king to send me, is what he says. Nehemiah says, it pleased the king to commission me to go and do this. He had God's call in his life. He knew God was calling him to see the city restored and the people restored. He took action, and that's what courage does. Courage drives us to take action when we know that God has called us, when we know that we are in his will. We must then do something and take action. He doesn't let fear hold him back. He's filled with courage, and he's ready to take the first step, which is to talk to the king and ask for permission to go. If he had stayed silent, he would have missed out on all of that, but courage from prayer happens when we take action action. Sometimes God's calling is difficult. Many times it takes sacrifice. But courage isn't really courage until we see what God's calling us to do and we say, I'm ready to go. I will trust you and take action and take a step forward. I saw my dad do that when I was about 11 years old. My daddy was a VP of a bank and very successful at what he was doing. And that's great. Actually, he's bivocational today and he's a pastor and a, and a banker. But I remember when I was in about fifth and sixth grade that my daddy responded to the call to ministry and he told me, he told us, he told our family, he said, you know, when I was young, I felt that God was calling me to be a pastor to ministry and I denied that call for so long, didn't want to do that. And he told us, but I have to do it now. He was 33 years old, two years younger than I am right now. He said, I have to pursue this. I have to do this. And we're gonna do it together as a family. And you know, as a young boy, I didn't really understand what he was doing and what he was necessarily leaving behind or what those changes meant. But the one thing that was ingrained in my head from seeing my daddy do this was that we have to know what God is calling us to do and then take the courage that he gives to move forward in action and do that. See, the next thing we're gonna see here is that Nehemiah is dependent and he has the courage to depend on God for provision. He needs God to provide for this task that he is about to do. He knows that God has given him courage. He knows that uh, God has called him to this. He knows that he has the king's favor. Now, how is he going to rebuild the gates in the city without God's provision? But he doesn't go off trying to figure out things on his own. 
He simply asks, and he knows that God is with him. Verse 7 says this, I also said to the king, King, if it pleases you, may I have letters for, for the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates and the citadel of the, by the temple and for the city wall and for a residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God, don't miss this, because the gracious hand of God, of my God, was on me, the king granted my request. Nehemiah asked for two things. He says, king, you're allowing me to go. You're sending me to go do this. He says, I need two more things from you. The audacity, the courage. He says, King, I need security. I'm going to pass through lands that are going to hate me for chasing after this calling of seeing Jerusalem restored. So the king gives him letters so that he can present to the governors of the lands that he will pass through. And then he says, King, if it pleases you, may I have a letter to your park ranger, your royal park ranger, asking for timber. I need building supplies. As we're going to see here in a minute, the king does even more than that. He doesn't just give him letters and permission. He sends army officers and a cavalry to escort him all the way back to ensure that he is safe. But here's the part that we cannot miss. He says, because the gracious hand of God was on me. That is the reason why the king granted my requests. See, God is our provider. God is our provider. And the one question that you and I must answer is, am I in God's calling? Am I in God's will? And as we walk as in such a way, we know, we know that God will provide for our needs. He has not forgotten the needs that we have. And that's an important lesson for us to remember as a church. That in 2020, the year, the decade to come that God has called our church and he's given Calvary and the churches of the RGV this great mission to carry the gospel of hope to those that are in such need spiritually, physically, emotionally. That this gospel is what God wants to send forward in Jesus' name. And that as we discern God's will and his way and his plan, God will provide. He will provide all that we need. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number four. We're almost done here. Lastly. Nehemiah, he has and he needs in the future, as you will see in weeks to come, the courage to face opposition. He is going to face opposition in this calling and this task that he has. He says, so I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates. He's passing through these lands now on his way to Jerusalem. And he has the king's letters. And it says that the king had also sent army officers and cavalry, cavalry with him. And in verse 10, it says that when Sanballat... The Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this. They heard that Nehemiah had arrived and that he had a mission to see the city walls and gates of Jerusalem restored and the people regain this identity as worshipers of God. It says that they were very much disturbed, putting it nicely, that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. 
that he is going to face opposition. You're going to see in the weeks and months, uh, in the weeks to come, in the chapters to come, you're going to see the opposition that Nehemiah is going to face. But for today, we just know, we need to know that the courage to face opposition, the courage that we need to take action is given by God as we seek him and we pray. There will always be opposition when we are walking in God's calling. Always. There will always be opposition when we are seeking to follow God's will and his way and his plan first. This is to be expected. Jesus told us, you will face a lot of hardship as you follow me. He says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus' words. You will face a lot of opposition. It, you, as, you, as you follow me as a disciple, you will face opposition. He says, but I've overcome the world. He also told us, you are not better than your master. So if I face opposition as Jesus, the son of God, and as you follow me, you're going to face it too. But I don't leave you wandering and afraid. He gives courage. He gives courage to face the unknown. I'm going to finish today by just asking you to bow your heads. And this time is yours. I'd like to ask you to, answer, to, to pray and to respond this way. What has God placed in you? What does he put inside of you, this burning passion and calling to see happen for his glory and for his kingdom? And if that does not exist yet, that's okay. Maybe you can pray and say, God, would you give me a burden and a passion to see your will and your way happen among this earth? Maybe you have this calling or maybe you felt God placing on your heart today to confront some things in your life. You know, it takes courage to confront sin. And it's much easier to be secretive and to hide. Maybe today your prayer is, God, give me the courage to bring some things into the light so that I can be truthful and honest and takes courage to be honest with yourself. Maybe you have been deceiving yourself for a long time about some things. It takes courage to be honest with yourself. And maybe your prayer today is, Lord, I need, I need the courage to see myself the way that you see me. It takes courage to follow Jesus, a courage that I certainly don't have on my own. Maybe today your prayer is, God, I, I want to follow Jesus as, my, as a disciple. I want to be his disciple. But I'm afraid and I need courage. That might be your prayer today. Maybe you live at home with your spouse and your children and most of what occurs in the house is out of fear you're afraid for your children, and so you treat them like you're afraid, always. 
you may need to bring your children before the Lord today and say, God, I surrender my children to you. They belong to you first. Help me not to live in fear with my children. The list can truly be endless, but take heart because God is the giver of courage. Lord, we bring you doubt and fear. We lay them at your feet, the foot of the cross. We surrender them. We let go of them today. Lord, will you fix our, our eyes on Jesus, who we can trust and follow? Will you replace fear in our hearts with confidence and trust that comes from knowing you as Father? Lord, if we don't know you in this way today, as you call us to yourself, we lay down our lives before you. Thank you, God, that you give us courage to face the unknown with the confidence that you know everything that is to come. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just sing this song that is so appropriate for the conclusion of our message today. Let's sing together.